0: Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it says, I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God. The flame, to fan and the flame the gift of God. See what he's saying right there is there's an anointing that can be passed down. There is a heritage there is a faith that gets passed down from generation to generation to generation. is what Paul was telling, and he's reminding Timothy about that. And I know this morning I was preparing my sermon, and I'm going to tell you, here's my sermon notes right here. That's it, one page. It's like an outline. Kind of. But I read through this whole thing several times this morning, all of Timothy, 2 Timothy. But God was saying that the anointing, the heritage, the legacy that we leave behind can be passed down. The Holy Spirit, the faith, the heart, all of that gets passed on to generation to generation. Amen. And the Lord was saying to me this morning in my prayer time, he says, what legacy are you leaving behind? And that is not even my sermon, but it just reminded me of the song we were just thinking of, your goodness is running after me. God's goodness has been running after all of us since the day we were conceived. Actually, since the, before we were here in our mother's womb, God said he knew us and his goodness was running after us all the way back then. Amen? So God's goodness is running after you. And I laid my hands on all of you because of it, and I was just running through there thinking of it. I laid my hands on you. It's like what Paul said he did to Timothy. He goes, Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying out of my hands. The gift of God. What do you think the gift of God is? It's the Holy Spirit, right? The gift of God is the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, i got to go away to my Father's house. i got to go away to my Father so that I can send you the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know, one thing that Jesus did to his disciples that I thought was great, interesting, is that in John, the last chapter of John in the book of the Bible, it says that Jesus... Blew on his disciples, and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. He blew on everyone. I'm going to blow on everyone of you now. Receive the Holy Spirit. Yeah, breathe it in. I, could, I was picturing myself when I read that, in John, I was thinking, I could picture Jesus like coming up to his disciple John and saying, John, and me being John, I was taking a picture in my mind of being John. I'm like going, just close my eyes and I'm thinking, what did he do? I wonder if you just breathe, you know how like we all inhale helium, right? And you all talk funny? Well, just imagine if you inhaled the breath of Jesus and you all thought differently and acted differently. Because you received something that's not of you and that's not of this world, that's from God Himself. <clears throat> Think about it. Here's God. You're breathing in God's breath. You know, think about this. Every day we breathe and live, right? Every day we breathe the air. What do you think created the air? God. We're breathing God's air. God's breath every day. Because it was by the word that God created the heavens and the earth. It was by his word. When, when 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 you speak, out comes air, doesn't it? When you speak, you can feel it. Put your hand there. Say something. Powerful. You can say powerful. Let's say it. Powerful. Powerful. You hear the air? You feel the air come out? Powerful. Air comes out. Amen. Hallelujah. So something powerful is in each one of you. Amen. Amen. And that powerful thing is not of you that no man should boast but because it's of God. Amen. Hallelujah. So I'm fired up this morning, as you can tell. I thought worship was great. And you know, I felt like the Lord sent our calling for this church churches, not just perseverance, but worship. We have a whole family of worshipers. A whole family. We didn't have, but Mom and Ed in the congregation and everybody else was up there worshiping. And not, Mom and Ed were worshiping too. Because we're worshipers because they were worshipers. Right? You learn to be a worshiper because you learned it from your parents, your grandparents. They learned it from their mom and dad, and they passed it down to us. And it's by their example, and that's like what Paul was telling Timothy. It's by that example, he knows that the spirit and the heart that's in you is good. And it's not of yourself, and it's not of them. It's because God deposited in you. Amen? Amen. Alright, so I'm going to... Get to the meat of my sermon now. But before we do that, we need to take up an offering. Hallelujah. Because I don't want to pass up a blessing on God's people. Come on down, Grace. Hey, Grace, you know those sweaters got crystals in them that really can hold the heat in and capture the heat? (laughs) They also keep them cool. They also keep you cool. That's what they do. Did you read the list? Did you read it? You got to read it. Oh, Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we thank you and we praise you, God, for your goodness. Lord God, I think of your goodness running after me, and I just want to run around, chase Ephraim around the church. Lord Jesus. Lord, I just picture that in my mind. And Father, I just pray that your goodness is Chasing after us like that, like I would chase after Ephraim, or Ephraim would chase after Jack, or Lord God. I just pray that your goodness, Lord God, and mercy abound forever, Lord God. And I just can't wait when we get to heaven and we just, am just, in mean, all of your goodness and your glory, Lord God. And we can have that right here, Lord God. Let us have that here in this place. Lord God, let's have that today in, this, in our hearts, in our lives. And I pray, Father, for your anointing. Pray for your blessings. I pray, Father, for your, for your hands to be upon us, everything we do and all the works of our hands, that you would increase in us, Lord God. Lord God, increase in us of who you are so that we can share that with others. And I just pray that, Lord God, as we give to you, Lord God, we're given into your kingdom where your goodness and your mercies endure forever and ever. Lord God, we're giving into your kingdom, and we pray that your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen? Your goodness is running after me. All right, Ephraim, you ready? You better get up. I'm coming after you. Better go. We're going to go around to church once. Okay, I caught up to him back there. It's good. Isn't that God? God's good. Amen. So this morning, in my, in my study, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, God, what is it you want me to share? What is it you want me to share? So, I open up my Bible to this and it says this. In the presence of God and in Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I give you this charge. So when I heard that, my ears went, boom, I give you this charge. What is that charge? Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Think about this. We're all Christians, right? Just think if you were Timothy, and this is Paul speaking to you. And he says, Timothy, this is your charge. You are a soldier in Christ's kingdom. You're our soldier in God's army. Each one of you are soldiers in God's army because you're Christians. Whether you're an enlisted man, a sergeant, or a command sergeant major, or a first lieutenant, to a general. You all have this charge. Each one of us has it. And it's to preach the word of God. Be prepared in season and out of season. So that means be ready at all times. 24-7, 100%. 100%, 24-7. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. (laughs) Be prepared in season and out of season. It says for what? To correct, rebuke, and encourage. How? With great patience. Great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. And I was reading this and I'm thinking, this is today. The time has come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. There's a time right now where people won't put up with the Bible. They don't put up with the truth. The word of God. I think of this and I think of our government and what's going on in our government right now. It's crazy. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Doesn't that sound like the House of Representatives? They've gathered around a group of people That only say what they want to hear and only say what they've been doing for the last three and a half years. I know this shouldn't be political, but this is political. This is what's going on in our nation right now. And this is important. Because these are the teachers that the Bible clearly says that warns us about them. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations. Keep your head in all situations, God says. This is what this is what Paul's telling Timothy. Keep your head in all situations, endure hardships, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of the ministry. And I was thinking, gosh, this is for me. Two, I gotta discharge all the duties of the ministry. I can't, we can't grow the church if I hold on to the things of the church. Correct? We're all called to preach the word of God. We're all called to be evangelists. Some are called to be evangelists, pastors, prophets, teachers, and apostles. Amen? Fivefold ministry. That's what we're all called to do. And God just telling me in my study there that I need to discharge those. And charge you. Just like Paul is charging Timothy. But I can't hold on to them. It's like it reminded me of what Grandma was talking about today a little bit up there in worship about a seed. About a seed. Right? What is the seed what does the Bible tell us about a seed? Well it's all so crazy how God put all this together because I was also reading this little book by one of my mentors and leaders and, uh, his name is Rod Parsley it's called Showtime. It's Showtime. And this chapter is called chapter five. I'm going to share a lot out of this chapter. It says the stage is set. The stage is set. Think about that. Just that statement alone. The stage is set. We're in the end times. Everybody believes that, right? The stage is set. Right? President Harry Truman was faced with a dilemma and called for one of his most trusted economic advisors to help him make an important decision. The economist said, well, on the one hand, you could do this. But on the other hand, you could do that. When Truman rehearsed the matter to one of his friends, they asked him what he did. President Truman said, I asked for a one-handed economist, (laughs) he replied. With today's emphasis on values, clarification, and situational ethics, It seems as though every situation has more than one acceptable outcome. Right? The world says there are no more absolute standards. No clear distinction between black and white. Every decision should be based on what you feel or what you think. Objective truth is no longer a valuable or a viable concept. The Bible says that during certain periods of Israel's history, and you see, this, is, this has been recorded in the Bible, of what's even going on today in our culture, in our time. Right? Do you all agree that we're living in this type of period, that there's no absolute truths? The Bible says that during certain periods of Israel's history, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. But instead of leading to freedom, that philosophy only resulted in anarchy and eventual bondage. Proverbs 14.12 says, There is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but in the end, therefore, are the ways of death. In contrast, in Psalms 23.3, the psalmist thanks the Lord because he leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. What this indicates to me is that whatever action we take needs to be directed by God. And not by our own reasoning or intellect. There are any, or excuse me, by our own reasoning or intellect. There are any number of things we could choose, but it is only when we choose to do the things God has directed us to do that we will see world-changing results. There are many things that we can do, but it's only those things that God directs us to do that we will actually see the world-changing results. And we need to find out what God wants us to do. And that brings me back to the charge of Timothy. Preach the word of God. In season and out of season. In Second Timothy chapter 3, we're going to go a little backwards now. It says this. But mark this. There will be terrible times. In the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And Timothy, Paul says that Timothy have nothing to do with people like this. When you run into people like this, you need to turn away from them and walk away. They are the kind who worm their way into the homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and are swept and are swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. That's today. That's going on. People are always learning. They're always trying to learn something new. They're always trying to find the next great spiritual insight that's going to give them this great revolution of how they should live their lives. And when they find out that doesn't satisfy them, they'll go looking for another spiritual solution to go searching for their lives. But like it said, in the end, it all leads to death. Because in the end, when people get down to the, the last breath and their last days, not just the last days we're in now, but in their individual last days. They reflect back on their life. And they think What if I was wrong about this the whole time? There are many people that live like heathens all the days of their lives. But when they get down to the last day of their life, they give their life to Christ. Because there's no other hope but Christ alone. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man goes to heaven except through him. And you see, these people have heard this. They know this, but yet they deny this. And it's a sad thing. But it's a good thing that they finally come to their senses, even though it might be too late, even though it might be a whole lifetime, and their last day. Jesus says, have nothing to do, or Paul says, have nothing. They have a form of godliness, but deny its power, have nothing to do with them. They're always learning, but they're never able to acknowledge the truth. That's the thing with this. There, everybody, a lot of people are out there to try to disprove the Bible. There's a lot of people out there, and scientists out there that try to disprove it. And a lot of them that try that always end up turning toward the Bible and and, and like realizing that this is, there's no other way but through a divine being. Once they have to acknowledge that there's a God that created the whole thing. And, and it's funny because Paul said this is happening. This was happening in Paul's day. And Paul compares it to when it happened back in Moses' day. When he said, remember James and Jambres who opposed Moses? So all these men oppose the truth, men of depraved minds, who as far as the faith is concerned are rejected. But they will not get very far because as in the case of those men, their folly will be clear to everyone. And that makes me think of, you know, I'm going back and forth here, but it just makes me, comes back to makes me think of what's going on in our government. Because all of this folly, all of this falsehood, all of this accusations, all this craziness is going to come back upon them. And it's clear to everyone. It's clear to everyone. I mean, you talk to a lot of people, you know, and they, they know that these are lies. And this is what's going on. It says Paul says to Timothy, says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, and persecutions, sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconum, and Listeria, Lystra. The persecutions I endured, yet the Lord rescued me from them all. But in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, it will be persecuted, Paul says. Everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. will be persecuted because of the world. Because the world is against us. While evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what what you have learned and have become convinced of. Because you know those from whom you've learned it. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. That means it's got power in it. Remember? Power. It's been breathed out by God. It's been spoken by God. It's been written down by the prophets. And by the apostles. All Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. And I'm telling you, there are men out there that don't believe that all scriptures God breathed. They think it's a good book. Oh, it's a good book. I right, can't understand, well, how can God write it down through somebody else when that's not God writing it, that's Paul writing it. Or that's Peter writing. Or that's John writing. That's not God. But it's the Holy Spirit in them that's writing it down. I'm telling you, these men had wisdom beyond their own wisdom. That was only divine. There's no other way. This book couldn't have been written by just a man. It had to be written by God. Because of the prophecies that have been fulfilled. It's like no other book in history. Because of the wisdom that's in this book. It's beyond man's wisdom. There's no way I can sit down and think of these things. (laughs) And write them all down. It's only through the Holy Spirit that God breathed in them and they're penning it down as God is speaking to them. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what this Bible is. It's equipping us so that we can be Used for every good work. So we could be thoroughly equipped. Lacking nothing. Amen? Amen? So, what is God asking us to do? I'm back to my little book here. We find one thing in Psalms 22:30: a seed, as, as Julie said earlier about a seed. A, sheed, a seed shall serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. Psalms twenty two is a messianic psalm attributed to David. In it David graphically portrays the agony that the Messiah will suffer and describes in detail death by crucifixion, hundreds of years before it was even before it was practiced in Palestine. Isn't that amazing? That David writes this down in one of his psalms. Hundreds of years before crucifixion was even practiced. In Palestine. But as the psalms come to a close, David makes this statement about a seed. Not just referring to the Messiah, but also referring to those who would come and declare God's righteousness to a people Who were not yet born. David's talking about us. We're the seed. We're the seed. A seed is is the chosen. You are chosen, remember? You're a chosen people, a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people set apart for God to do good works. You are chosen. You are set aside and designated part of the harvest. When You know, when immigrants, he gives this story about when immigrants, when they came to this country way, way back, they carefully selected the very best seeds out of their crops. They carefully selected through hundreds of seeds the very best. to take with them to new fields. They wanted to make sure that the new crops would have the greatest possible success, the chances for success. And they spared no effort to make sure the seed they chose was the remnant of grain that was most likely to produce the chosen seed was the remnant of grain that was most likely produced, the chosen seed, was one of a hundred or even one out of a thousand, carefully examined by hand and hand picked. God chosen you as one among a multitude. Think about that. Were that generation that David talks about a seed in the end times that God chose To be in such a time as this. We have been handpicked. Think about that. You have been handpicked by God. Out of thousands or hundreds of seeds that are possibly able to be in such a time as this. But God chose you. Chose you. God handpicked you, Ephraim. Among a multitude. To be used in these last acts of human drama. Being played out in the world stage. His hand is upon you. Because you are the one he has picked. To bring forth a harvest in these end times. God handpicked you to bring forth a harvest in these end times. It is a glorious and grateful thing to know you are one of God's chosen vessels to bring revival to the earth. Think about it. Revival starts with just one, doesn't it? Revival starts with one seed. But before you start rejoicing about the seed and being the seed, let me explain What is necessary to bring forth a harvest? What happens to a seed? It says in John chapter 12 verse 24, Jesus said, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. First comes the planting. Then comes the dying. Then comes the harvest. This is an immutable principle that we see throughout the Bible. Here we have an opportunity to find out whether we really mean what we say when we ask God for a harvest. Because there could be no harvest without a death. And there could be no death without a planting. And there could be no planting without a seed. What we must realize is that when we ask God for a harvest, we are really asking God for a death by planting. This is is contrary to our fleshly nature, since we are naturally programmed to prolong our lives. Right? We're naturally programmed to prolong our lives. How many people are out there searching for the fountain of youth? Hundreds. Look at these diet plans. Look at all these supplements. What do you think they're doing? They're trying to prolong their lives. Right? People are trying to prolong their lives. We don't naturally want to die. We want to live a long life. Right? But we must remember that when we become born again, we chose God's ways and not our ways. Right? When we're born again, it says that the old man must die so that we can take on the new man. We didn't choose to live like the world or live like the old ways or the old crits. We chose to live in God's ways and the new crits, the new creatures new creature creature i'm a creature in israel nearly everyone was connected to Wait. hold on i got to make sure i got the right place in israel nearly everyone was connected to farming in some way so this language used images that they really that they readily understood in modern culture, we are much further removed from agriculture. So these terms may not be as familiar to us, but this concept has not changed. Let me explain three purposes for a seed. First, a seed is born to die. It will never fulfill its purpose unless it does. It's, I still remember my relatives talking about seed potatoes, these were remnants of the previous summer's harvest that were set aside to provide the basis for next year's crop. By the time they were planted, they didn't look like much. They were dried up, twisted and shriveled. But there was nothing in but there was something in them that would not be denied. And when given the right conditions they would bring spring, they would spring up into new and flourishing plants. Potato plants. The seed that was planted might only be very small part of the potato, but the result of its death would bring about an abundant harvest. We know this from planting seed potatoes in our own gardens. One potato makes many potatoes when you plant it in the ground. And it does not look like much. It looks old. It looks dead. If it wasn't for the green sprouts growing up, you'd think this thing was just garbage. But something happens when it gets planted in the ground. Jesus said in John 18, 37, to this end, was I born? He came to the world to be a sacrifice and to offer his life as a payment for those held captive by the devil. He did not come to live for himself, to indulge in the pleasures that this world had to offer he came to adorn a cross to be rejected and vilified by those he came to save, and through his death, he produced a perpetual harvest. Think about it: when Jesus came to this world, and when he died and he rose again, brought about the greatest revolution this world has ever ever seen. Take Jesus's life for an example; he's that seed. That died, rose again, and was multiplied by billions of Christians around the world, billions of believers, multitudes of billions that have gone on before us now for over 2,000 years. It's amazing. He instructed anyone who would follow him to deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There was a cross for Jesus, and if you will follow him, there is a cross for you. You are not required to bear his cross, but you are required to bear your cross. That is, if you care about producing a harvest. Paul understood this when he said to the church in Galatia, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He had literally come to the point where he realized his life was not his own. But he was fully and completely owned by the one who paid to redeem him. In Matthew 20, 28, Jesus said, even as the Son of Man come not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many, even though men worshipped him, his purpose was not to be served, but to serve others by laying down his life. If we believe our purpose ought to reflect his, how can we do any less? For many church goers, Christianity has become nothing more than a means by which they try to persuade God to give them the things they think they need, to please their flesh, to inflate their ego, or to bolster their reputation or social standing. A postmodern and humanistic worldview has actually convinced many that God exists for the express purpose of making us happy. And according to materialism, what would make us happy is an accumulation of material things. Multitudes of people have lived for years searching for the happiness they thought things could provide. And have become disillusioned and despondent when the things they possessed did not produce the promise they were looking for. There's a saying out there, the man who dies with the most wins. I've heard it many times. But what good is it when you're dead? Where does all that most that you've gained go? Right? You can't take it with you. You can't take it to heaven. It might, it might keep you in hell. <laughs> Who knows? God says put no idols before him. Worship the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Let me put it very simply self sacrifice is entry level Christianity. It's not about me, it's about Him. It's not about what I want, it's about what He wants. It is not a matter of what I choose to do. It is a matter of what He has already chosen for me to do. This fundamental principle is lacking in many who claim Christ as Savior. And as one of the reasons the church is powerless, to produce the harvest of souls that God requires. The seed has to be sacrificed in order to see the harvest come. In order for a seed to die, it has to be planted. That planting is significant for a number of reasons. Planting means the seed gets buried. When a field is planted, nobody sees the seeds any longer. This is hard for some who always want to be in the spotlight. But the seed's power is only released in secret. Next, the seed is broken open. What is in the seed that is protected by its covering is released when the soil breaks down the outer shell to unlock what is inside. If the seed was never planted, it would not have the opportunity to undergo the necessary changes for a harvest to come forth. In our case, death is always followed by burial. As a seed, when we are covered, dramatic changes can take place through the agency of the Holy Spirit that will result in a new life, That will cause transformation in the lives of those around us. So, what he's saying there is that when we die to ourselves and we take on the covering of the Holy Spirit, then a true transformation takes place. And that true transformation will affect all of those who are around us. And that's what he's saying about the seed. When you bury the seed in the soil, there's something in that soil that breaks down that outer shell of the seed. To, to release what's inside it. To grow and to mature and to produce the harvest a hundred or a thousandfold. It is the seed's responsibility to die and to be buried. It is the soil's responsibility to surround and sustain the seed in an atmosphere that is favorable to the seed Favorable to that seed, breaking open and reproducing. Without the right kind of soil, even the best seed cannot reproduce. But when the conditions are right, a seed properly planted can bring forth even a hundredfold. What I just said. What is the soil that an individual believer should seek to be planted into? The right kind of environment that should receive believers as seed and allow them to grow and flourish is a call to local church. Just as the seed will never develop its potential until it is planted, so Christians will never develop their potential unless they find fellowship in a local church. True. See, Rod Parsley just put it there in a way that the soil that the seed is in helps develop that seed. It gets what that seed gets what it needs out of that soil to reproduce. And he's saying that same thing is the local church. That soil is the local church. You need to be planted in the right church so that way you can grow and develop into that harvest. Amen? Amen. So you can be nourished so you can be built up. He says here, I know there are a variety of excuses for people. I know there's a variety of excuses people have for not fellowshipping with one another. In local body of believers, I think I have heard them all, he says. The fact remains that Jesus is our example, was found in the synagogues. Think about this. Jesus, our example that we have in the Bible, where was he? He was found in the synagogues preaching, wasn't he? When he was a boy, right? And they traveled to Jerusalem. And his family went back to Nazareth. And his mom said, Joseph, have you seen Jesus? Where did that Jesus go? Or where's Ephraim? Oh, there's Ephraim. He's back there in the church of God. He's back there. He's back at the synagogues is where they found him. That's what he was saying about Jesus. Jesus. That's what they said. Where's Jesus? They're looking all around for him. And what did Jesus say when they found him? I'm in my father's house. Where do you think I was going to (laughs) be? Think about that. I'm in my father's house. Jesus was at the temple. And he was teaching the teachers as a child. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing because Jesus was all God. That would be like Ephraim being lost. And then Ephraim coming down here to the church. And we have all these church leaders here. And Ephraim saying, let me tell you something about God. You know, I remember my father when he created the heavens and the earth. I was there right next to him. I was there when he brought Adam out and he said, Adam, you start naming all these. I want to give you the charge of naming all the animals and the beasts of the earth. I was there. I was there. I was in the chariot of fire when we went down and picked up Elijah, and he and he dropped his cloak, and I saw Elisha have a double portion. I was there. I saw all that happen. It's amazing the things that were, that you know, that Jesus said. They were they were astounded by his knowledge. They said the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and Sadducees. They were astounded. I know, he says, I know there's a lot of excuses. But we've got to be planted into the church. The local church is to an individual believer what the soil is to the seed. It provides an atmosphere for growth and development that cannot happen otherwise. I know there will be challenges and the potential for misunderstandings, but that is all part of the dying process. That is in, that is inevitable in order for us to bring forth new life. One of the reasons we have not brought forth the harvest of God that has ordained is because of our failure to put aside differences and hurts of the past and allow ourselves to die to what we want. So we can produce what God wants. So we need to dive with what we want in our way, in our will, so we can take on God's will. Amen? So we can do His will, so that we can produce the harvest. And we will never produce the harvest if we hold on to our will and keep pushing God's will aside. It's not my will. What did Jesus say in the Garden of Gethsemane? It's not my will be done, but your will be done. Dying can be painful, but it is necessary and will happen if we allow ourselves to get planted. Third, the seed is born to give life. Producing new life is a process, not a singular event. But if we allow God to take us through the process Life will follow death just as certainly as dawn follows darkness. One of the most fascinating characteristics of seed is that each seed has life in itself. You may not realize it, but once you are born again, you have the life of God in you. You have life in you once you are born again. Each individual seed has its own life in them. And it's God-breathed. And it says you are destined to produce the life of God. When you die, you are planted. 1 Corinthians 15, 36 says that, Which thou sowest is not quickened, made alive, except it die. Imagine what God can do with a life that is fully yielded to him. What kind of harvest is possible if a multitude of seeds are planted? Think about this. One can put a thousand to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. Think of the multiplication. You know, I was going through the multiplication through um, my wife's program that she's doing and the multiplication table of it and it's like that exponential curve just think of it if there are more if we all died to ourselves did what God wanted us to do in our lives think of the harvest that we could produce think of the soul's That you could bring to the Lord. Each individual, each one of you. Has revival in you. Has a harvest in you. Because you have the seed of God in you that's been planted. Think about that. This place could be, we couldn't contain the amount of people. If you did the multiplication of just the small number that's here. We couldn't contain this. We couldn't put everybody on the whole property. Because out of the one, produces a thousand. And then out of that thousand, seeds, how many more seeds is there that could be produced? A hundred. So the thousand goes to a hundred thousand out of two people. The 100,000 all of a sudden goes to what? A million? The multiplication is crazy. It's exponential. I can't even count the millions. and you know, There's no... We have so much great potential. There's nothing. Once we get planted and we die to ourselves, we live for God... That seed planted, that harvest planted, will be so great. Just a little group right here could bring revival around the whole world. The whole world. And it could probably go around it a couple times. It's crazy to think about it. But it's possible because all things are possible with God. With God, all things are possible, right? Amen. You are a seed. You have been chosen and handpicked by God for such a time as this to bring about the greatest harvest this world has ever seen. Each one of us. Isn't that amazing that you've been handpicked by God out of the thousands? You are like the choice of choices. You were born years ago, hundreds of years ago, or thousands of years ago. You were selected. It was like I could just see God pick it through He's like, no, End times. That one's a real special seed right there. We're going to put that one aside because its time is not yet. But that time is coming. And when that time comes, I'm going to take that seed and I'm going to breathe it into them. And then they're going to get themselves planted and they're going to look at. They're going to get planted in the soil, and that soil is going to be the Holy Ghost over them. And that seed that they're going to plant that I saved for this, such a time is going to produce a harvest that this world has never seen before. And the Bible prophesies about it, the great harvest in the end days. And we're in the end days. Everybody believes that. Whether you're a Christian or not, many believe that we're in the end times. Praise the Lord. I get excited reading this stuff. You can tell, can't you? I get excited. It makes me want to chase that from around again. One more time. I'm coming after you. Goodness of God. You better get ready. Praise the Lord. Amen. Let's all stand up. I'll close with that. I can keep going. I'm telling you. I'm not even done. I'm not even done with my sermon and I have no notes on it. So praise the Lord. Father, I thank you and I praise you, Lord God, for this day. Father, I praise you and thank you, Lord God, that you have saved us, a choice seed for the last days. I pray, Lord God, that we would do your will, be obedient to your word, be obedient to death, Lord God, to dying to ourselves. Lord God, that's what you've called us all to do, to die to ourselves so that, Lord God, we can blossom multiply, Lord, help us to realize that concept, Lord God, and help us to take up our cross that you have for each one of us here today, Lord, and I pray, Lord God, that your face would shine upon us, that, Lord, you'd be gracious to us, that, Lord God, you would turn your face toward us, and that you would give us peace in all sides, and I pray that you would bless your people and those that hear this word, Lord God, I pray that it would go into their hearts, Lord God, that you would speak to them. Lord God, and anything that's not of you, Lord God, I pray that it would fall away to the wayside. I pray, Lord God, that you would cover us with your Holy Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Cover us with your Holy Spirit. Lord God, I pray that you would breathe upon us. Lord, as you did upon your disciples in, in John. Lord God, I praise you and I thank you, Lord God, for this day. In Jesus' name, Amen.